All right, so last week we finished the first 24 verses, 25 verses. So this week we pick up in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. The word of God says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. In this first part of our passage, we're given details about God's second step in his climactic act of salvation in salvation history. Luke begins by telling us in verse 26 that Six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel once again brought another birth announcement. However, this time, the location wasn't at the religious center of all Israel, but rather in an insignificant Galilean village named Nazareth. And instead of being sent by God to an elderly Jewish priest, Gabriel was sent to a young virgin girl in Nazareth named Mary. Now here's a few other things that the Bible tells us about Mary. According to uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, she was a Jewess of the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David. And of course, as we saw, she was a virgin. Also, Matthew 13.55 says that she was engaged to a carpenter named Joseph. And by way of Leviticus 12.8, Luke says in chapter 2, verse 24, that they were poor. Now here's what cultural historians have also indicated. Among the Jews at the time, engagement was almost as binding as marriage and could only be broken by divorce. If you were engaged, you were technically married. In fact, the word fiancé didn't even exist. Back then, the man and the woman were essentially called husband and wife, even before the marriage took place. It was a relationship. It was a binding relationship already. Also, since Jewish girls at the time um, married young, it's likely that Mary was probably just a teenager when the angel appeared to her. Now, of the infinite number of ways God could have chosen to reveal his next part of his plan of redemption, I never would have guessed that he'd do it this way. God didn't go to the biggest or richest or busiest Jewish cities in the region. He went to a small village that had a population of about probably 400 people. Now, Also, instead of choosing a girl from the most prestigious Jewish families, the ones that were influential, the really religious ones, he chose to appear, or he chose an unknown, poor Jewish girl. And rather than making a spectacular announcement, God made the announcement quietly and privately. This reminds me of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has, God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. Now, what this ought to tell us is that not to fall under the false assumption that you need to be more or you need to have more or be someone important in order for God to use you. The truth is that as long as you have a humble and willing and obedient heart, the easier it will be for the Lord to use you to do great things through you. As it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. When Spurgeon was a teenager, he served as an assistant teacher in a school in England, kept by John Swindell. The cook in the house was Mary King, a devout Christian with strong Calvinist beliefs. When Spurgeon was experiencing deep conviction, he would often talk to her and spend time with her, and she explained what she knew of the word. Later on, Spurgeon wrote, From her, I got all the theology I ever needed. Mary King is one of those forgotten heroes of the church, uh, forgotten heroes of church history, who influenced such a mighty man of God. And again, think of all those well-known pastors, past, you know, pastors even that have passed away, evangelists like Billy Graham. Think of all the people that we don't know of that influenced him, that reached out to him and made a big difference, that God used to just speak powerful words. Also, think about those people in your lives that made a powerful impact on you. Maybe those cooks, maybe they were um, drivers, maybe they were, I don't know, teachers, Sunday school teachers. One day, you're going to see them in heaven, and I'm sure, I'm almost positive you're going to be thanking them for just being that positive person in your life. Again, there are so many people. You don't have to be someone important. He's not looking for that. He's just looking for that humble heart. He's just looking for just that obedient child that will just, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will do anything you want me to do. My heart belongs to you. Now in verse 28 of our passage, the angel addresses Mary with the words, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. The words, favored woman, meant that God had singled her out to be a special recipient of his undeserved, unmerited grace. This means that she didn't do anything to earn this blessing or that she was unique to expect favors from heaven. You see, if she were different, if she was more holier or she was, had been actually, there was a, a halo over her head and she was set apart, from all the other engaged virgin girls in that time, in that area, she, then she would have been expecting this visitation. She would have been, 
sitting there and saying, you know, when the Gabriel finally showed up, well, there you are. I was expecting you. But no, what we'll see in a bit is that this wasn't her reaction. She wasn't expecting this. It was a surprise to her. God chose Mary to be a special instrument of his plan of salvation simply because he wanted to, because of his grace. So with this in mind, I want to clarify a misunderstanding behind the Catholic prayer that begins with Hail Mary, full of grace. Now in verse 28, verse 28 clearly shows us that essentially this statement is accurate. Mary was full of grace. But it's important that rem- to remember that her grace was a received grace. Yet according to the, that Catholic prayer, it inaccurately implies that she's full of God's grace to give to others. That she has God's grace and now she's able to hand over or dispense this grace. Sp- scripture is clear in Ephesians 2.8 and Romans 3.24 that God's grace is a gift from him alone and given by him alone. So not only does the angel say that Mary is favored and blessed, but, she's, but he also assures her that the Lord is with her. Now, although the following three, three things were true of Mary, the Bible tells us these things are also true for us. As believers, according to Ephesians 1 6, we're highly favored as Mary was. According to Matthew 28 20, the Lord is with us. And according to Ephesians 1 3, we're also blessed. So even though God had given her a special privilege among everyone that ever lived in Christ, You too are now favored, you're blessed, and he is eternally with you all. Well, upon hearing this greeting, verse 29 tells us that um, we're told that this favored woman became deeply troubled. In Greek, this word Luke uses describes something thoroughly stirred up, confused, and perplexed. So unlike Zechariah, Mary's reaction was not out of fear, but out of confusion and thoughtful questioning to try to find meaning to this greeting. Now, if she were troubled by any fear, the angel calmed her by repeating the same comforting words Zechariah had heard. Do not be afraid. However, even if those words didn't or did, didn't calm her, Gabriel's next words, I'm sorry, even if she were calm, Gabriel's next words, you have found favor with God, would have added fuel to the fire of confusion burning in her head. Why? Because now this indicated to her that God intended to use her in an important way. But how? But how? In what way? Well, that's what we'll find out next as we read these next three verses. 
So picking up in verse 30 of Luke chapter 1. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Within these three verses of this special announcement, there are several important truths that need to be pointed out. To begin with, we see the real humanity of the Messiah. You will conceive and give birth to a son. The Messiah would be born of a woman to become a member of the human race so that we could identify with him and he could relate to and sympathize with us. Secondly, this announcement shows us his deity and his mission as Savior. And you will name him Jesus. The name Jesus is equivalent to the Hebrew Yehoshua, Joshua, I'm sorry, meaning the Lord is salvation. That was my attempt to say it in Hebrew, but I'm still working on that. Um, meaning the Lord is salvation, Joshua. In a sermon, Billy Sunday said this, there are 256 names given in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I suppose this was because he was infinitely beyond all that any one name could express. A third truth is his essential greatness. He will be great. He will be great both in his person and his work. Spurgeon said this, Is it not proven that he is great? Conquerors are great, and he is the greatest of them. Deliverers are great, and he is the greatest of them. Liberators are great, and he is the greatest of them. Saviors are great, and he is the greatest of them. Fourthly, this announcement reveals his identity as the Son of God, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Although Jesus would be the son of Mary, he would also be known as the son of God. The fifth truth this announcement um, tells us is that is his title to the, tr- to the throne of David. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Humanly speaking, Jesus' lineage will, would be traced will be traced legitimately through the royal family of David because of Joseph, Jesus' adopted father, because he was a descendant of David. Therefore, this essentially made Jesus heir to David's throne and establishes him as the Messiah. 
Now, one last truth this announcement shows us is his everlasting and universal kingdom. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom shall have no end. Today, at this very moment, Jesus is enthroned in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. But it's not on David's throne. One day soon, he will come back. Jesus will return to establish his righteous kingdom on earth. And then these promises will be fulfilled. Now, in the final portion of our passage this morning, we're going to see the conclusion to this interaction. So if you still have your Bibles open, I'm just going to read the last four verses, five verses, beginning again in verse 34. Mary then asked, How can this be? since I have not had sexual relations with a man. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the baby, I'm sorry, the Holy One, will be born and will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old, old age, and this is her sixth month. For her who was called childless. For nothing, let me repeat that, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. In these five verses, we read and see Mary's reaction, the angel's explanation and her eventual submission. Now it appears that while Gabriel had been relating to her who this child was and what he would become, there was still one question burning in the back of Mary's mind. How? How am I going to have a child if I've never had sexual relations? Mary's question, how can this be, if you think about it, was a logical one. And, and similar to Zechariah's, but unlike his, Mary's response was an expression of faith, not disbelief. See, although she knew the plan, she had just finished hearing what this angel had said and what the, God's plan was. She understood it. She believed it. She just didn't know how it would be executed. How could she bear a child when she's never had sexual relations with a man? She was still a virgin. Well, in verses 35 and 37, the angel explains it to her in the best way he possibly can, delicately, simply and effectively. He tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of God will overshadow her and cause her 
conceive. This word, the word overshadow, means to cover with a cloud, as in the cloud of Shekinah glory. And it's the same word used to describe the transfiguration cloud in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. If you remember that story, all of us were told that the apostles saw a big cloud and, and finally the cloud dis, uh, disappeared and there was Elijah, Moses, and Jesus in their, in their full glory. Well, this cloud that was covering them was God's Shekinah glory. This cloud was a visible manifestation of the glory and presence of God. Therefore, the same power of God that was with Moses and the others in the Old Testament, you know, the cloud that was leading them through the wilderness, leading them through the desert during the daytime in a pillar of fire at night, this was that Shekinah glory that overshadowed her, overshadowed Mary. Well, that same glory that led Moses in that wilderness was now going to do a unique work in the life of Mary. So, no. God did not have sex with Mary. That, I know some people will say that out of ignorance and, and maybe they just they want to believe that this is what happened here, that there was some kind of something that God mated with Mary, but no, that's not what happened here. Jesus was conceived through a special miracle in order for God to create his son in the human womb. It was a special miracle, a unique miracle. Now, just as a side note, the the angel clearly predicted that Mary would have virginal conception, not virginal birth. And as far as anyone can tell, Jesus was born normally. So if he was delivered, like most babies are, this fact would, have further, would further nullify the belief that Mary's virginity was a perpetual one. Now, in the last part of verse 35, Gabriel carefully pointed out that the baby would be, ho- would be the Holy One, indicating he'll be 100% man and 100% the Son of God. This also means, among other things, that because his body was prepared for him by the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't possess the sinful nature of man. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that Jesus did not know sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says he did not commit sin. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 5 says there is no sin in him. So you see, he was, because he was born of a woman, he was 100% man. But yet because God had prepared a body for him, by the Holy Spirit, he was 100% God as well. I know that, 
I can't cover the intricacies of this. The, 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 I, I can go on theologically about what this means, but um, really, I'm one to always encourage you to just study it. Study what the incarnation means and, and how what the Bible says about the, the holiness of God, the holiness of Jesus. And he will again speak to you and he will show you. I had questions about this early on in my faith too. Lord, I've, I've heard my pastor, I've heard him explain it, I've heard Bible studies, but I just still don't get it. How was Jesus 100% God and 100% man? And I didn't get the answer right away. But as I continued to read, as I continued to study, he just showed it. He just revealed it to me. He showed it to me. And so by faith, again, I, I believe this. I truly believe this. I believe this as a fact. Now, to additionally, to encourage her, the angel told Mary that despite her old age and that even though she wasn't able to have kids because she was barren, her relative Elizabeth was now six months pregnant. This miracle proved that if God can do that, if God can do something amazing and wonderful and miraculous to allow a really old woman that couldn't have kids to now be pregnant, He'll also do, God will also do what he had just promised her. Gabriel then reassured her that nothing, nothing at all will be impossible with God. You see, even if it seems impossible, even if the odds are against it, and as I mentioned last week again, if it seems illogical, God will always accomplish his, pers- his purpose through the power of his word. If he says something will be done, it'll get done. If he makes a promise, he will keep it. God can't lie. The Bible is clear about that. It's against his nature. He can't lie. So if he says something here in his word, everything he says, either has come to pass, is coming to pass, or will come to pass. But everything he says will, poss- will, will happen, no matter how, regardless of how impossible it seems. Even all, the, all that, that stuff, all that, everything he says in Revelation, in our minds, he's talking about dragons and, and all this stuff, and... Uh, doesn't make sense. It seems like a fairy tale. Well, he's going to accomplish it. It may not be as what we think it is, but for those who, who will go through it, it'll make sense. It'll, it'll, it's, it'll be exactly as the Word of God says. It will come to pass. Now lastly, in verse 38, we see a beautiful model of humble submission. Mary's words, I am the Lord's servant, indicate she agreed and accepted 
with what Gabriel said about her. Secondly, she surrendered herself to God as a willing participant. And thirdly, she completely, 100% trusted in God. So I ask you, is that, do you have that same heart? Do you, are you able to say today, right this very moment, Lord, I am your servant. And if you do, can you unequivocally say that you've agreed and accepted what God says about you? Have you surrendered yourself to him? And are, are you now a willing participant, a, really, a willing servant? And have you completely trusted in God? Mary's next response, next responded, with an affirmation of faith. May it be done to me according to your word. By faith, she willingly obeyed and yielded herself to God's plan and purpose, knowing full well the cost she may have to pay publicly and privately. She was like, okay, Lord, may it be done according to your will. I know this is going to mess up my, fam- my reputation with my family. This may affect my relationship with Joseph, my marriage. May it be done according to your will. People are going to look at me and say, hey, why are you pregnant? When you're not officially, technically married to Joseph yet. What's going on? See, Mary agreed to receive a pregnancy that would have been seen as suspicious in a culture that was putting women to death for idolatry. By her saying yes, she was willing to pay the ultimate price. Even at her young age, she had the faith of a mountain. Forget all that. Forget, Lord, I'm your humble servant. Here I am. Use me in any way you want. Because she trusted. She believed. She knew that God would protect her. As believers, God wants us to have this same humble submission Mary had. A submission of the body. He wants us to submit our bodies to him. Not to fulfill the desires of our own flesh, of our own fleshly desires, but to commit our bodies completely to him. Dedicate ourselves, our minds, our eyes, our hearts, every organ completely to him. making a commitment to him, saying that nothing will defile this body that you've given me. The Bible says your body is a temple. How are you treating your temple today? How are you treating it? I'll be honest. I, I, I'm, not, 
I'm not treating it the best as I should. I have my faults. I'm, I mean, I've, I've got my own issues that I am working on and that the Lord has been showing me and I'm asking the Lord to help me. But are there things in your life that you know for a fact that God has been telling you for a long time, hey, this isn't glorifying for me. This is, you're not glorifying me by doing this, by watching this, by eating this, by, by drinking this, by smoking this. You're not glorifying me. Are you yielding your body, yourself completely to the Lord? Also, he wants a submission of the heart. It's like Mary, she submitted her heart to him. Have you submitted your heart? Have you said, Lord, my heart becomes com belongs completely to you? You know, we often tell our sweethearts. I tell my wife, well, honey, I love you with all my heart. Now, I say this because I mean it. But in reality, my heart completely, 100% belongs to the Lord. Because... He is the one who has showed me how, is showing me how to truly love my wife the way she deserves to be loved. Not how I want to love her, but how he wants me to love her. But again, my point is here is that when it comes to our family members, our, our family members, right, whether it's our kids, our parents, our spouses, Whoever we're close to, our, our love for the Lord should be greater than that of any family member. Because I'll tell you what, I, I would be devastated if something happened to someone I loved. But I know that by clinging on to the Lord, that if my heart completely belongs and is surrendered to the Lord. He will guide me. He will strengthen me. He will protect my heart and show me what it is that he's trying to reveal to me through that whatever tragedy it may be. I, again, I'm not trying to sound all negative here, and, or, but I trust, again, I trust him. I trust that my heart completely belongs to him. And that also will just keep me away from anything else that will try to creep in, any other idols, any, any other, anything else, whether it's money, power, fame, anything else that will try just to creep into my heart to, to take chunks of it away I, 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 by giving myself again completely to him, my heart to him. It'll be less likely for that to happen. Now, what other thing that we, he wants us to submit is our minds. Is your mind submitted to him? Can you say again today that, you know what, my mind is, is, is elsewhere. My mind is, isn't focused. I'm, I'm more worried and preoccupied with, preoccupied with 
the things of this world, my problems, my issues, or is your mind submitted to the Lord and, and given over to him? Because when that happens, again, that anxiety, whatever you're feeling, that, that anger, that depression, that, that, that feeling of, of, of hopelessness, he comforts you. He, 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 knowing that he's there, knowing that there's the truth about his love, the truth about what he did for you, well, it will, I, you know, I, for a very long time, have suffered with depression. And there are times that I still do suffer through depression. It's something I've dealt with since I was a young kid. But as a Christian now, it's easier for me to, to go through, when I go through these feelings, because I know that my mind is just playing tricks on me. My mind is telling me that I don't deserve the things that I have. I don't deserve my family. I don't deserve my kids. I don't deserve being here. I'm just a worthless piece of blob on this planet. That the world would be better off without me. Yes, I've had those thoughts. I've had the thoughts of, of I mean, even though my kids are smiling at me and are loving me and are hugging me, the thoughts of, oh, this doesn't matter. I'm still, I'm feeling gross and I'm feeling like inadequate. But when those feelings, but now again, as I have to remind myself, I have to make an effort to remind myself who I am in Christ that I am a child of God, that he looks down on me and says, angel, I love you. I died for you. You are my child. That lifts me up. And that gets me through those tough times, through those difficult times. So this, again, is what I mean, surrendering your mind to him, surrendering your mind to the Lord, because our minds will play, trick on us, play tricks on us, fool us, lie to us. So we have to hang on to the truth. So now with his mission accomplished, Luke writes that the angel left her. Again, now I imagine the angel going up, being up in heaven, and again, God asking him, hey, so what happened this time? I hit a home run. It was an awesome experience. Gable is now one for one. Now, in case you didn't know, angels aren't just sitting around on a cloud playing a harp. They're not there doing that. As ministering spirits, they're also busy working hard to fulfill the will of God. 
whether it's battling demonic forces, whether it's ministering to you personally, whether it's protecting you, whether it's, I mean, they, they just, the Bible tells us a number of, uh, number of things that, that these angels do for us. But it also tells us that we're not supposed to worship them, that we, we ought to worship God alone. But the point is that he left her to continue to do the work of God. And sometimes God wants us to do the same thing. Finish the work that he has us to do and then move on to the next. Because God's work isn't doesn't stop the moment you say, okay, I've, I've done throwing away the trash or I've done, I've done serving it with the children. It's continual. Continues on and on and on. One thing I admire about Pastor Chuck Smith is that he pretty much preached right up until the day he died. He understood this principle to serve. The, the work is never done. It must go on. Now, if we were to step, take a step back, here's what we can learn from this story. God's grace is given by him and can only be received by you. There's a big difference between doubting God's word and thoughtfully questioning, pondering how God's word will be fulfilled. How, Lord, how, how with all the stuff that's going on, how is this going to happen? How are we going to do this? Lord, I've heard your promises and I've heard your word and I'm faithful to it, but Lord, how? How is this going to happen? It's okay. God didn't come down on Mary, or the angel didn't get upset and cause her to be mute. She answered a question, how this would happen. So when your mind is burning with just a million questions, dig deep. God's wisdom. And that water of his wisdom will quench those fires. See, doubt leads to disbelief. And that, my friends, is sin. Whereas thoughtful questioning, thoughtful questions leads to seeking out God's wisdom. Another thing this passage teaches us is that nothing, nothing at all will be impossible with God. What we think is impossible, he will make. And I mentioned it last week, but I think I mixed my words. I was listening to yesterday, last week's message, and I mixed up my words, but my point is that was what I was trying to say, that God will make possible the impossible. I think I switched it around last week. <laughs> so... Um, it's interesting when I go back and hear these messages, I'm like, wait a minute. Um, yeah, I messed up there. But 
Nothing will be impossible with God. And lastly, God desires a humble submission from us. For what reason? To accomplish His will and purpose. Now, as I, as I close here, this message, this announcement was Gabriel was telling Mary that the Messiah would be born. This Messiah would eventually die for you and, will rise, and would eventually rise from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of God and will soon come back to judge the living and the dead. This is only the beginning here. As I mentioned also last week, folks, it's happening. It's happening. We're on the precipice here. These are just the, the, the announcement, but we're going to start to see the plan completely un- unfold, or start to unfold, the plan of God's redemption. So let me ask you, are you ready? Are you at a place where you want to have your sins forgiven, that you recognize your need for a Savior? You know that there's something missing inside of you. There's an empty void deep down in the pit of your heart. And like I said, I know what that's like. I've been there. And the only one that can truly fill it, the only one that can truly give you peace is the Lord. I've tried everything else. Maybe you have too. And you've come at a dead end. Have you tried Jesus? Have you surrendered your heart to Jesus? If you haven't, and you want, and, and you're at a point now where you want to, and you see, you, you hear the Lord speak, tugging at your heart, speaking to you, don't ignore it. Give Him the opportunity to change your life, to do what those drugs, that alcohol, that um, all those addictive things aren't able to do. completely fill you with love, completely satisfy you. So if that's what you want, wherever you're at, close your eyes, bow your head, and just pray this with all your heart, with all sincerity, Lord God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've fallen short of your glory and that without you, I'm lost and would be eternally doomed. So I humbly come before you on my knees and ask you to forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. 
forgive me of all those times I went against your word. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I confess him with my mouth. So now fill me, Lord, with your spirit. Give me new, a new heart, a new mind, a new heart, Lord. I dedicate myself completely to you. I receive your forgiveness, Lord. Help me to walk in your ways for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.